All right. I feel like I should um, explain my advice there real quick. Um, basically, before, <laughs> I just feel like I have to. Uh, before we had kids, we spent literally every single one of our precious vacation weeks with our families on vacation, which was amazing. We love our families. We have fabulous families. But then we had kids, and then we were trapped and couldn't get away from them. And so it wasn't until our 10-year wedding anniversary that we got away together, and we realized the last time we had been away together like that was our honeymoon 10 years before. So that's why we always give that advice. Before you have kids, I know you love your family, but get away together. Anyway. Uh, Would you stand with me for the reading of the word this morning? All right, this is from Luke chapter 4. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, They tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you can have a seat. So, um, the other day I was shopping and I was buying super glue. And I had this funny moment, this funny thought. Before I had kids, I don't think I ever bought super glue. Like that's not, that wasn't something that was ever on my shopping list. Since having kids, it's it's basically like a pantry staple in our house. Like, can you get bread and eggs and super glue? And you know, part of that is because our kids break things, kids break things. But part of that is because I have one child, Silas, my five-year-old, who is absolutely distressed by broken things, like cannot handle things breaking. And it's not just the things that bother me that break. It's not just like when we break a dish or a lamp or something. This is like the little tiny things. Like when a crayon breaks, we are distraught. Or um, a piece of paper gets a little rip in it and it's not perfect anymore. Or a little crumple. Or my favorite, the little plastic, cheapo, Happy Meal toys that we just have thousands and thousands of everywhere in every corner of every toy box. Those things break after like two uses. And Silas can't just accept the fact that this is what Happy Meal toys do. This is absolutely distressing. And so the number of times that I have painstakingly superglued a Happy Meal toy or retaped some piece of paper that's like, I mean, no offense, but like some handout from Kid City three weeks ago that just has a little tiny tear. You know, it, the tear's okay. Anyway, the number of times for this child that I love, I have painstakingly done this is unbelievable. And this quality in my five-year-old, half the time it's really annoying. I don't like to do this. 
But there's something in this, there's this little kernel in this that resonates with me. Because when I look at Silas, who is distressed by something that is broken and absolutely determined to fix it and put it back together and make it new again and make it whole again and make it right again and make it work again, something in that reminds me of the heart of God. Silas reflects something of what is true about God, that our God wants to fix things that are broken. That is something that is true about God. And so this morning, uh, we are going to get to Luke 4, and we're going to talk about healing this morning. But before we do that, I want to zoom out, because I think it's really important when we talk about healing to locate Luke 4 and this story in the overall bigger picture of what God is doing in the world. And so if you will allow me just a few minutes of latitude, I want to zoom out and remind us where this story fits in a larger narrative. If you're new with us this morning, and especially if you're exploring Christianity, welcome. I am so glad that you're here this morning. Healing, there's a demon in this passage. I mean, these are kind of out there topics. I recognize that. Um, Bear with me through any weird parts. Hang in there. Um, Have an open mind. And also, if you have questions afterwards, I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Andrew would love to talk to you. But actually, this moment where I zoom out, this might be great for you if you've never heard kind of the story of God. So the Christian story teaches that God designed the world to be perfect, to be absolutely perfect and pristine, like that Happy Meal toy when you first pull it out of the packaging. It's shiny, it's perfect, it works just right. God made the world to be perfect. You can read that story in Genesis 1 and 2. But just like that toy, that didn't last long. It was damaged. So Genesis chapter 3, because of the influence of evil and because of human selfishness or what we might call sin, when humans said, we're going to do it our way, the world was damaged. And everything that God created to be good was damaged. So we were designed to be in intimate relationship with God. And now there's some distance between us and God. Humans were designed to be an intimate, vulnerable relationship with one another. Harmony. We all know that that has been damaged. Our relationship with the earth has been damaged. Our relationship with ourselves has been damaged. Everything was damaged at that time. And it's like what happened in that moment is that we rejected the rule and reign of God. Humans rejected the rule and reign of God. And so we basically separated ourselves from the kingdom of God, from the realm of heaven, from the rule and realm of God, that that used to be one and the same with earth, heaven and earth, one and the same. And now those two things have been separated apart, the rule and realm of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and our experience of life on the earth. There has been separation brought between those two things. But Because God is like Silas, and really that's not true. Silas is like God, but I like to say it that way. Because God is like Silas, and out of his great love for his creation, he looks at the damage that has been done, and it it distresses him. It breaks his heart. It grieves him. Because God wants to fix what's been broken, the story of God ever since that moment in Genesis 3 has been about putting everything back together, about reuniting heaven and earth, about reconciling God to humanity, and about fixing everything 
that has been damaged. That is the story of God. God wants to put things back together just like Silas, okay? So scripture tells us that one day God will have his way. One day everything will be made new. So at the end of this age, at the end of time, where history is headed is to the renewal of all things. The world will be made right. Everything that is broken will be put back together. You can read about that. So Genesis, the beginning of the story, Revelation, the end of the story, you can read about this in Revelation 21. It says, on that day, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, and all things will be made new. That is where we are headed. So we know the end of the story. We know that God gets his way. Everything gets put back together. But here we are in the middle of the story. And the question is, do we just sit around and wait? Do we just sit around and wait and there's no hope for us now? No. Because the process has already begun. And the decisive moment in the story of redemption, in the story of God putting everything back together, was when God took on flesh and came among us as Jesus. When he was born as a baby, God took on flesh. And so one way that you can look at Jesus' life and ministry, his death and resurrection, the primary purpose is to reconcile heaven and earth. So God, in Jesus, actually heaven and earth overlap in the person of Jesus. And everything that Jesus does is to reunite heaven and earth, to reconcile God with humanity, to begin to establish and really to reestablish the rule and reign of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth in the here and now. This is why we pray on earth as it is in heaven. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That God is establishing in Jesus this future rule and reign of his kingdom in the here and now. That is what Jesus' ministry is about. So the kingdom of God. George Ladd describes the kingdom of God like this. The kingdom of God is the sovereign rule of God manifested in the person and work of Christ, creating a people over whom he reigns and issuing in a realm or realms in which the power of his reign is realized. So basically, Jesus is king, Jesus, who is God, is king. And anywhere that he is worshipped as king, even in the here and now, on this earth, not waiting for the end of time, anywhere that he is king, we can experience the life of heaven in the here and now on earth. And some of you know what that feels like. You've tasted the overlap of heaven and earth. You've tasted what it means to live in this kingdom of God as it's been established on earth. We think of sanctuary like a little outpost of heaven. That actually right here, the kingdom of God is at hand and it's in our midst. And so you, many of you have experienced the life of heaven. Those of you who have come to faith in this community. Those of you who have been set free from addictions in this community. Those of you who have experienced healing in this community. You've experienced something of the life of heaven. Not at the end of time, but right now. You know what that feels like. The kingdom of God is being established right in our midst. So does that make sense? That is kind of a big picture. But now we zoom back in to Luke 4, 
And in Luke 4, this is the moment in Luke's gospel where we begin to realize that this kingdom of God, establishing and reestablishing the kingdom of God in the here and now, that this is Jesus's primary purpose. We begin to see this in Luke 4. It's the beginning of his public ministry. And this is where we're starting to realize this is why Jesus is here, to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. And so the first thing that we see in Luke 4 again, the beginning of Jesus's public ministry, is that Jesus announces the establishment of God's kingdom. So Pastor Andrew preached on this a few weeks ago, if you can kind of go back in your mind and recall when Jesus was in the synagogue, opened up the scroll of Isaiah and read these words. Um, This is Luke 4, 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this passage that he reads from Isaiah, this is full of restoration language, of putting things back together, of renewal, of fixing what is broken. And after he reads this, Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I'm going to do this. We're not waiting For the end of time, I'm going to begin this restoration process. Now, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says things like the kingdom of God is at hand. It's now. The kingdom of God is in your midst. It's here. This process starts now. Jesus is announcing the establishment of this kingdom of God in the here and now. But here's the thing. It's one thing to announce and to say that you're going to do something. So speaking about marriage advice, right? It's one thing to say, I'm going to do that. It's another thing to follow through and do what you say you're going to do. And so Jesus not only announces the kingdom of God, the establishment of this kingdom, he also demonstrates that this kingdom is here. He shows us tangibly what the life of heaven, the life of the ages, looks like in the here and now. And one of the primary ways throughout the gospel stories that Jesus seems to demonstrate what this kingdom is going to be like and what it is like, one of the primary ways seems to be by healing the sick. Jesus, as he demonstrates that he is establishing this kingdom on earth, heals the sick. It's a very interesting thing. It seems to be a primary way that he does this. He also casts out demons. So there's some demons in the passage. I'm not going to talk about demons today. That's a sermon for another time. But you can think about it like it's evidence of spiritual sickness. And so there's some spiritual healing that's happening here as well as physical healing. 25% of the stories in the Gospels involve healing. Healing the sick seems to be a way that Jesus demonstrates this kingdom that he's establishing. So in this passage, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. He's going to Simon's house, Peter's house, same person. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She has a fever. Jesus speaks directly to the fever, rebukes the fever, and the fever leaves. And then people begin bringing him all kinds of people who are sick. He lays hands on them, and they're healed. And then, yeah, these demons kind of spontaneously seem like they're flying out of people. And again, sermon for another time. What is, Andrew loves that. It's a, that's on you. You can preach that one. Um, so the thing that I 
notice in this passage, and actually in the whole chapter, Luke 4, and then I think that Luke is trying to get us to see is the authority with which Jesus is doing all of this. So Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God with authority. Earlier in Luke uh, 4, Luke tells us the people were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. His words had authority. Luke is showing us something related here. So Jesus' words have authority over people's hearts as he teaches. And then his words have authority over the natural order as he rebukes a fever. And then his words have authority over the supernatural realm as he silences evil. And so his words have authority. Luke is drawing our attention to this. Other people in Jesus' time healed people. They even cast out demons. But there were elaborate rituals involved in that. Jesus does these things with his word and a simple word, it seems. And so the voice that's teaching about the kingdom of God with authority is the same voice that's rebuking a fever and silencing evil. And Luke is making a point here about Jesus' authority. Who is the only one who could do all of those things with just a word? It's the same voice that spoke the world into being with a word. Jesus has the authority of God himself because he is God. He is God in the flesh. And Luke is trying to call our attention to that. Jesus not only has the authority to teach about this kingdom of God, but because he is God, he has the authority to establish this kingdom and to demonstrate what it's going to be like. That's what's happening in this passage. So Jesus announces and demonstrates this kingdom of God. But why healing? Why healing in particular? Why is healing such a part of this demonstration of the kingdom? Is it just some random hobby of Jesus? Like, is it something that if he wasn't called to be the Messiah, maybe he wished he would be a doctor? He's just really into healing people. He's really into people's bodies. I don't know. Is it just some weird thing about Jesus? Is it just a trick? It's just like a flashy trick to show off. Some people say that Jesus' healing is only there, he only heals to authenticate his divinity, to authenticate his teaching, to basically give some plausibility for who he is. And I think, yes, there is that. Anytime there's a miracle or a demonstration of power, yes, it is absolutely doing that for us and demonstrating there's some authority and some power behind what's happening here. But I think there's something else to the healing that Jesus is doing. And I think it's really important that we understand it's more than just demonstrating that he's God. What I believe and what I want to talk about a little bit is that healing, I believe, is a sign of the coming kingdom of God. Healing is a sign of the end of the story that we know is coming. Healing is a little foretaste of what we will experience forever. So I'm going to give you um, just a little analogy to explain what I mean. So how many of you, you can put the uh, picture up, the flower. How many of you know uh, what kind of flower this is? Not a tulip. Crocus. Okay, this is a crocus. Anybody else, anybody familiar with crocuses? Croci, crocuses. Anyway, uh, crocuses are one of my favorite flowers, but it's not because they're pretty. They are pretty. They're kind of cute. 
It's because of what crocuses mean. So crocuses bloom in very late winter or very early spring, often when there's still snow on the ground. And so when you see a crocus coming up through the snow, it's a sign that spring is coming. You cannot stop spring from coming. And so when you see the crocus, you know it's inevitable that spring is coming. It might be zero degrees out. There might be snow on the ground. We see that crocus and we say spring is on the way and it's coming. And in the same way, when we experience healing, when we experience any of the life of heaven in the here and now, it's the same type of thing. We know that this is the end of the story, that one day everything is going to be made new, that heaven is going to crash into earth. This is our destiny. For those that follow Jesus, our destiny is to spend eternity here in a world that works, that is beautiful, that is perfect. That's our destiny. It is not our reality today. It's zero degrees out and there's snow on the ground. Things are broken. But when we see someone healed, when we see someone set free, when we experience the life of the ages in the here and now, it's a sign. It's a sign that what is coming is inevitable. That is where we are headed. Amen. Healing is a sign of the kingdom and a little foretaste of what is going to come. So here is something about healing, physical healing, that I think is important for us to understand. A lot of times we imagine, and this is just, I don't even know where, where does this come from in popular kind of imagination about death. We believe that when we die, our souls evacuate our bodies and then spend eternity as sort of disembodied souls floating around in the heavens. That is not biblical. So what's biblical is that our bodies are going to be resurrected and be made new. And so that we actually are going to spend eternity, again, our destiny, in bodies that work perfectly, that don't age, that don't feel pain, that don't get sick, that are perfect. That is our destiny, to have bodies that function. Those of you whose bodies give you trouble, that is a beautiful picture of the future. We will have bodies that work perfectly. And so when we experience healing, it's just like, again, back to Silas. Silas likes to put everything back together. God loves to put everything back together. He cannot help himself. He ultimately is going to give us bodies that are perfect forever, but he cannot help himself fixing us and giving us a little taste of that now. And so um, another, just to give you another example, healing is not the only sign of this future kingdom. Another sign that I believe is an important sign for the church is multi-ethnic community. So we know that our destiny is to spend eternity, again, for those of us who follow Jesus, to spend eternity with every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping the Lord around the throne. That's from Revelation. If that's our destiny, but we know the world is broken and there are so many divisions between people. So we have thrown up walls where God intended none. And it's not just ethnicity, it's also politics. How many of you have a good friend who is on the other side of the political aisle, right? We, we add all these divisions between people. And so an important sign of the kingdom is that any time we experience reconciliation among people, any time we experience multi-ethnic community, any time we experience people coming across differences to love each other in the name of Jesus, we are tasting a little piece of our destiny. And so that is another example of this future hope. And this gets really, so when we talk about healing, 
This gets really practical and helpful, this picture that healing is a foretaste of what's to come when we engage actual suffering and actual sickness in the here and now. So I want to give you another example, a story. And some of you know a little bit about this story. So some of you know that my mom is terminally ill. And she's been terminally ill for a couple of years, and she is suffering from a disease that is literally destroying her body. Not her mind, but her body. It's horrible, horrible disease. But here's the thing. We have been praying for physical healing. We pray for physical healing. She has not been healed. But here's what I know. If she were to be miraculously healed today, she's 66 years old, in 20 years or 30 years, her body would fail again and she will die. We cannot escape death. And so I know that if she were to be healed, I would rejoice, but that is not where my hope is anchored. My hope is not anchored in her healing in this age. My hope is anchored in the fact that she will spend eternity in a body that is perfect with Jesus. And my mom has been dreaming about this. At night, she's dreaming about running and walking And what I believe is not that Jesus is giving her false hope for her healing in this life, but he's giving her a longing for her destiny. And so that is why when we get to the struggles about unanswered prayer, if we know that healing isn't the main event, it's a foretaste. It helps us to bear our disappointment in this moment. This is also why Jesus, at the end of the passage, when they want him to stay, all these people he's healed, they want him to stay and kind of put up shop and maybe, I don't know, have like a healing ministry. He says, no, I must teach about the kingdom of God to the other villages. This is why I was sent. And so he knows healing is not the main event. It's a foretaste of our destiny. This is what I believe about healing. So a couple, couple things. Healing is complicated, okay? Healing is complicated. Some of you in the room may have some baggage with churches that have talked about healing. You might have seen some theatrics that have made you very cynical and skeptical. You might have had somebody tell you point blank, your healing is tied to some spiritual deficiency in you. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. We can abuse and twist any good thing. And we have done that with healing ministry, and I'm sorry about that. There is no formula for healing. There is no formula. If you read in the Gospels, healing happens in all kinds of different ways, sometimes with physical touch, sometimes right away, sometimes later, sometimes from a distance. There's absolutely no pattern or formula that we can assign. There's no special words you need to say for God to hear your prayer for healing. There's no formula. It's really important that we know that. There's also no guarantee. It's very hard to explain when we pray for healing why some people are healed and some people aren't. I gave this sermon last week at Sanctuary North and I'm preaching about a fever and Jesus rebuking a fever and my little kid is home with a high fever and Greg and I have been rebuking that fever for like 24 hours and it didn't go away. And the next day after preaching that sermon, I was in bed with a fever. And so it's hard to explain. Why is Peter's mother-in-law healed and I wasn't? I don't know. Why is my mom not being healed? Her best friend was miraculously healed. I don't know. But I do know that when I understand healing as a sign, it orients me in the right way. So the last thing that I want to ask 
is that if healing seems to be this central way that Jesus demonstrates his kingdom, why is it, and I'm, I'm making some assumptions here, but why is it that we do not experience healing when we come and gather on a Sunday morning the same way that it seems like Jesus does this everywhere? Why is healing not a central part of our ministry as sanctuary? Asking the question. And I think there's a, a few answers for that. Some are theological. I think we've suffered from a theology that wrongly separates body and soul. I have a whole section on that. I'm going to skip it for the sake of time. But there's some theological problems. But secondly, I want to tell you another story that I think illustrates part of our problem. I think sometimes we struggle to believe that we can expect God to heal because we haven't experienced it. So the other day, I was um, outside with my son Silas and Pastor Andrew and Corey's daughter Harper. So they're both five. And there was a little tree nearby where they were playing. And Silas climbed right up in this tree and scampered up to the top and look at me, I'm in a tree. And then Harper wanted to climb the tree as well. But Harper had never climbed a tree to my knowledge and she got up to the first branch and got nervous. And she started to cry and she wanted to get down and she didn't think she could do it. And so we're there cheering her on like, Harper, you can do it. It's a little tree, you can do it. And then I had this kind of light bulb moment and I said, Harper, do you know that Silas doesn't have any skills that are different from yours? He's not that much bigger than you. He's not that much stronger than you. He does not have special tree shoes on. The only difference is that he's done it before, so he knows that he can. And what do you know, Harper got up in the tree. Sometimes I think that's what we are like with healing. We have not experienced it, so we don't ask. We don't ask because we're afraid it might not happen. John Wimber, who is uh, one, one of the founders of the Vineyard denomination and a leading voice in healing ministry, talked about when they began to pray for healing in his churches. And he said, in the past, when we didn't pray for anyone, no one got healed. Now, when we pray for everyone, some people get healed. And that's the kind of expectancy that I think we can have. We're not we are not guaranteed an outcome that we want when we pray, but we can absolutely expect that in a world careening towards redemption, where Jesus is king and we have the authority of the king right here, and he's delegated his authority to us, we can absolutely expect to experience the life of heaven in the here and now. And healing is one way that I think we can expect that. And so this morning, we want to invite you in just a time of worship that follows, to come up to the altar this morning. We want to invite you to ask God for a taste of heaven this morning, for a taste of the life of the ages, for an experience of the overlap of heaven and earth in the here and now. Some of you, as I'm talking about healing, something's coming up for you. Maybe it's a physical healing. Maybe it's an emotional wound that you've been carrying that the Lord is eager to release you from. But some of you, there's something else. You need a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit this morning. You need
need to ask for an outpouring of his power in your life. You need to ask for his joy this morning. You need to ask for his peace. You need to ask for a word from the one who has authority. You need to ask for a taste, a foretaste of your destiny. Some of you this morning, what that looks like is surrendering to the one who has authority in your life, but you've never recognized it. Some of you need to say yes this morning to the life of the ages, to say yes this morning to the God who loves you, who's known you your entire life, who's pursued you and chased you, who loves you more than you've ever been loved. Some of you need to say yes to him this morning. And we invite you to do that. So we're gonna have some prayer ministers available. They have lanyards on who'd love to pray with you. But we're just gonna open up this space as we worship. Come forward, ask God to taste, to taste his goodness, to taste the life of heaven in the here and now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are king, and we declare that at Sanctuary Church, you are king. King Jesus, we worship you this morning. You have authority, God, in this place over our hearts, over the natural order, and over the supernatural world. God, you are king. This morning, Jesus, I am asking, would you encourage us? Would you encourage us this morning in zero degree weather with snow on the ground, would you spring up some crocuses, Lord? In a world that is broken, would you pour out the life of heaven in this community, God? Would you bring people to yourself this morning, God? Would you heal us from our diseases, both physical and spiritual, God? Would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to surrender to the one who has authority? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.